Welcome to Gu Dao Jingxing, Walking the Timeless Way, a podcast that digs deeply into the ancient texts of Taoism to uncover its timeless wisdom and discuss how to apply it to today's chaotic world. I'm David Wang, executive coach. I'm joined by my co-host Ian Felton, practicing psycho- psychotherapist. Good morning, Ian. Morning, David. How are you? I'm doing well. How about you? Not too shabby. Just uh, got back from spending some time with some gray whales in Mexico, and just had a really nice, nice time there. And yeah, it was. It's it's good to be back though. What was the、uh, the highlight of the trip? I mean, going into a different culture is always. Nice, and just seeing how people live in in other parts of the world. Where, for example, we were in La Paz, which is the capital of that state in in Mexico, and in that town, as we were walking around, I just i i noticed how there weren't necessarily like. Good neighborhoods and bad neighborhoods,、mm-hmm. in, in、mm-hmm. the sense of that, on one side of the street there might be a brand new business that was freshly、mm-hmm. painted and looked very inviting, and on the other side of the street there would be a decrepit building that was abandoned、mm-hmm. and falling apart, and that as you walked along, that was common where there'd be a couple. Well kept places, some places in disrepair,、mm-hmm. and, and no one seemed to be bothered by it. And I started thinking, I don't know how accurate this is, but just you know, in a in a culture where death is more accepted, you know, there's、um, the the Day of the Dead festival, and、mm-hmm. death is. Kind of revered and celebrated, and you know, I'm not an expert on that festival, so I don't want to start speaking、mm-hmm. too much about it. But that, at the same time, I wondered if there was some relationship to being accepting of death and being kind of conscious of its role,、mm-hmm. and also not trying to hide away, you know, these dead buildings that it was okay. That they were there. That it, it was okay. That it was visible. Where, in a culture in America, it's like we we have to tuck all that stuff away. If you see a building in disrepair, it's it's almost like people start getting too conscious that everything falls apart and turns to rot, and and we can't accept that in this sort of culture that fixate on, fixates on youth and that everything has to be. Young and fresh, that we don't like that that sort of thing. Wow, that's such a profound observation,、uh, which reminds me of a couple of years ago.、Uh, I met in、uh, you know in in one of the Starbucks in Hong Kong with an、uh, American educator who just、mm-hmm. landed in Hong Kong.、Uh, she shared with me that she was like fascinated to see. How you know the elder people mix with the younger people, and、uh, they are having such a fun, like 
you know, playing with the babies. So that conversation, you know, your conversation, your, your, your observation just now just made me think that maybe in, you know, certain culture or maybe back when in this culture, uh, you know, maybe back, even back to the, um, I don't know, like the pre-modern days. Mm-hmm. Um, I read somewhere, indeed, the old and young, the rich and poor, uh, life and death, they all kind of mixed together. Like, the, the, you know, it's not like separated to then mm-hmm. to hide the unpleasant part of life or the whatever is perceived, it's all mixed. It's like, mm-hmm. you know, birth, you know, somebody died, a new baby was born. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, like the people who are, who were like better off, uh, they walk side by side, you know, on the same street, you know, with mm-hmm. some, you know, poor, you know, people, things like that. I, I think our society nowadays is like so you know separated or mm-hmm. segmented sorted mm-hmm. into zip codes and you know all the you know different um different kind of communities yeah it's it's just sort of this um it's psychologically unhealthy in so many ways mm-hmm. it's like we we can only tolerate things that kind of uh, uh, appeal to our our personal sensibilities and mm-hmm. we don't want to be confronted with our fears we don't want to be inconvenienced by having to mm-hmm. interact with things that we're not comfortable with and mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. sort of this push toward there's a word called hyper realism and and it seems mm-hmm. like that where you know what's actually natural and harmonious and complete mm. is kind of pushed to extremes in every direction. Mm. And it's really this grotesque perversion, which I think, you know, America is, is pretty emblematic of right now. Mm. Talking about that, I, I actually, I can see, a, you know, an interesting connection with the, uh, chapter of Dao De Jing we're going to mm. study today. So why don't Great. we maybe get started on that and continue to talk about these reflections? Cool. Yeah. Uh, for this chapter, would you like to read, you know, to our listeners, the original text? Because, you know, we want to appreciate the, you know, the flavor or the rhythm of, you know, a, a poetic type of text in Dao De Jing. I will try to bring some poetry to my reading. <laughs> okay, great. San Shifu, Gong Igu, Dang Qi Wu, Yu Che Zhi Yong, Shan Zhi Yi Wei Qi, Dang Qi Wu, Yu Qi Zhi Yong, Zao Hu, Zao Hu Yu. Yi wei shi, dang qi wu, you shi zhi yong. Gu you zhi, yi wei li, wu zhi, yi wei yong. Perfect. You know, I, I just pretend I do not understand the, the, the meaning, but I just, 
you know, try to hear, the, appreciate the sound of it. You know, there's like certain rhythm and the rhyme. <laughs> so it's, 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 it's good. Yeah. There, there's, um, some unfamiliar characters that, mm-hmm. um, can, can certainly throw you off with obviously Chinese. Sometimes is this, is this character one word or is this a two character word? And, and one of those got me, but, um, there's yeah. still, yeah. Um, that pattern really after reading it a couple times, it just comes out. So when I was practicing it after the second or third reading, it's like, Oh yeah, it's, it's, it's right there. And it just, it just kind of comes out on, on its own. Yeah. Yeah. That happens to me too. So as you can imagine, like a, a modern native speaker of Chinese are struggling with these ancient texts, but mm. Uh, you, so that requires some time to kind of get used to it. And then, you know, what 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 felt like a very kind of an alien way of speaking things, uh, you, you know, you start to, just like everything else, you, you start to get connected, uh, you know, with the text itself. So, yeah. Great. So let, let me uh, share with our listeners one of the versions of translation for this chapter. This is actually from uh, J.H. McDonald. Thirty spokes are joined together in a wheel, but it is the center hole that allows the wheel to function. We mold clay into a pot, but it is the emptiness inside that makes the vessel useful. We fashion wood for a house, but it is the emptiness inside that makes it livable. We work with the substantial, but the emptiness is what we use. I th- what, what do you think about the translation? I really like that one. It's, it's a great combination of sticking to the original character's Mm-hmm. Meanings, uh, I mean, clearly the Chinese has more poetic rhythm to mm-hmm. it, and I don't know how you could even do that in, in English. I, there's well, just... as they say, poem, po- what is poem? Poem is what cannot be transla- translated. <laughs> yeah. Ultimately. Yeah. But I, I like that translation, though. I think the, the mm-hmm. essence of it is is definitely there. I see. Yeah, yeah. I like it, too. Um, so let's kind of get started talking about this chapter. Uh, I was wondering, because to just to uh, give our listeners a sense of the, um, you know, some of the metaphors used in the uh, first few verses, versus uh, the um, the spokes and the hub of the wheel, the clay pot, and then the the house. Hmm. Uh, can you share with us uh, what Lao's really mean here? You know, he obviously he tried to use these metaphors to to make his point. And what was his point? I think there's a lot of points, and that's the. I mean, just why I love this book because. Mm-hmm. 
you can read a chapter like this and in a minute, but because we take the time to really think about it and reflect on it, mm-hmm. it it's kind of hard to believe how much he could encode in in just some sparse number of characters, especially when mm-hmm. he's repeating a lot of them. Mm. And it's the repetition of just a few simple characters that actually makes it powerful. But but if we look at the the main thing that gets repeated over mm-hmm. and over again, you can just kind of summarize his point of saying it's space that's useful. Mm. Mm. And what he means by that is that obviously even back in ancient society, people were valuing things, valuing jade, valuing mm. jewels and, and coins and palaces and all of these things and and status the the same things that are in society today right no different from us no different from us because that's when things turned was when civilization arose and we've been subject to the same problems since then since that pivot point in human history but what Lao is saying is that that stuff really isn't the matter in things is not useful. So, you know, the, the jewels, the gold, all of these things are even a wheel. I mean, he's using these common objects to make us think about, well, these are common things that we use all the time. Our, our, the rooms in our home, the wheels that take us places and, it's just even funny thinking about a wheel, even with all of our advanced technology, look at the tires on your car. It's still full of air. It's still all of that space mm-hmm. yes. that makes it useful. And that even though we've put people into space, the fundamentals of a wheel haven't, haven't changed. It's still the space within these things that makes them useful. So, Lao Tzu is taking these common objects that we all interact with all the time and, and saying like, hey, look, yeah, instead of idealizing the substance of things like gold and jade and material, it's actually space that is is valuable. That's where things get their use, that you can have a cup made of gold, and yeah, maybe someone says that cup of gold is worth a hundred thousand dollars. Well, I mean, if it, if it had nothing but gold and there was no space in it, it it's worthless as far as being able to, if you needed a drink of water, it has no value at all that no matter what it's made of, it's the space that makes it useful. Exactly. I, I, I've been thinking about that, uh, you know, this cup also you know nowadays people put you know quotes or logos and all kind of pictures on outside the cup 
But I, mm. you know, taking the uh, the perspective of Laozi, you know, really like everything outside that people, you know, the the as a kind of a merchandise uh, you sell has no real use of if there in the middle of it is there's no empty space to hold the water. Doesn't matter whose name is on it. At the end of the day, if we can <laughs> put our coffee or water in it, we it's going to go. We're going to give it away because it's it's just take it. Then it's useless. Exactly. So tell us more about the, that space. That space, I guess, is also a a metaphor for many many things. You know how how, how do you understand? You say that space that exists. What does that space? Does that space in itself contain something? Maybe not as concrete as as materialistic as what's surrounded. Definitely, and and we have lots. I think the best metaphor mm. that we have, or a, a really great metaphor in English that tries to capture that that I think everybody's familiar with is we will say something like you have to let it breathe. Hmm. Wow. I, I okay, I love it. So so t- tell us something more about it. So let's think about the the beginning of a relationship of a romance where mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. two people meet and I know I was just so awkward and clumsy for decades as uh, trying to figure out how to, um, you know, be romantic and and yeah. that sort of thing because I never let things breathe. I was always so anxious and eager to get a girl to like me that I didn't let things breathe or try to go too quickly with, with things and, and mm-hmm. pressure it. And it's actually in that space where there's usefulness. In other words, if a guy or a, a anyone are not letting a relationship breathe, it's that space where that other person can miss you, can reflect upon the time that you've had together. Can yeah, you... yeah. I remember the same old saying, like the distance makes the heart grow founder. Is that yeah. the space we are talking about? E- exactly. And so in relationships, that space, it, it's the same thing. It, it's where that is the poetry of human relationships where the space is. It's, it's what nostalgia is. It's when Mm -hmm. nostalgia is that when there's space between our current lives and our past, you can't be nostalgia and nostalgic about what you did yesterday. Right, right, right. Well, interestingly, you, you just made me recall you know, as a my my student uh, when I study at college, because uh, I came to this country from a long distance, I think that space, that distance, also made 
reading the letter. I remember, you know, after dinner, you know, there's the, you know, in the uh, Harvard cafeteria, you know, just next to the cafeteria, there's the whole mailbox. You know, I was like eagerly waiting for my parents, my parents' letter and my friend's letter to arrive. You know, mm-hmm. that's so precious moment compared with today. Like you have the instant message. You know, yeah. sometimes I think that kind of space um, created, uh, you know, created. I think. Um, naturally right because we had no technology new technology at that time but I, I really I think the moment was so wonderful when I read every line I and I I reread it I reread re, you know I, you know I read it again again and like savoring like a you know a cup of tea yeah I can really imagine you standing there and being so far from home and yeah. because of the distance and the space missing your loved ones. And when you get that letter and I can see you just, you know, taking your time to read every line and over and over again to, to try to close that distance to try. Yeah. To close yeah. Yeah. I think especially because the dining hall is just across the street from the Charles River. So I was remember like it was a, uh, you know, spring day, like with some, you know, daffodils. And then I was sitting on the bench and Mm. it was like there was the the sunset, you know, Mm. all that. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you. Just for helping me just bringing all this wonderful memories Mm. Uh, yeah, it's buried somewhere, as you talked about that space. Yeah, and even in the discussion that it's by creating that space for those memories that that emotion can arise. Exactly, exactly. Um, as you talk, so what the phrase again, what, let it breeze, right? Let it breeze. Yeah. Uh, it can be used in relationships. Okay. And, and uh, how about opportunities? Like let it breeze. Let's say some op- new opportunities come up, but it takes some time for great things to happen. Can you say that? Let it breeze. Yeah, I think so. I mean, I, I was talking with one of my clients who, mm-hmm. you know, lots of people have been getting laid off with um, yeah. the start of the year. And when you lose your job, obviously, it can put you in a desperate yeah. Yeah. frame of mind. Mm. And it's really tough because if you do have an opportunity, someone reaches out about an opportunity and wants to interview, he was having this urge to follow up each day. Yeah. Hey, there any progress and and I had to really just try to say hey you know what what about just kind of after one follow up just sitting back yeah giving them the space for you know there's probably things that they're trying to arrange maybe people that they're trying to get together for a meeting and let creating space for that because imagining 
what it would feel like to be the hiring person where, you know, you have the pressures of your job, you're trying to coordinate schedules, and then you have someone emailing you every day, like, hey, what's going on? Hey, what's going on? Hey, right. what's going on? Yeah, uh-huh. Like a salesperson, right? Salesperson acts, behaves like that. They're the worst. <laughs> Lots of follow-up. They're the worst. I'd, yeah, I'd, those are the people I delete, like, and... And I, I guess, like, I don't know if it ever works or if, if, I mean, I guess it must work in some way, but the people who, hey, just following up on that email I, I sent and mm -hmm. I just delete them because it just feels like if I was interested, I'm going to respond when the time is right. Yeah. I don't when I feel harassed, that's the last person that I want to do business with. Yeah. You know where the problem is? The problem is these people were hired to do their job and there are certain mm. uh, KPIs or key, yeah. uh, uh, you know, key performance indicators or metrics they use. Mm -hmm. uh, I think they knew from their heart sometimes that this is not working, but somehow mm -hmm. if their boss asked them, so what have you been doing? Well, yeah. I've been making these calls. So that's the, I think, I guess that's part, maybe part of the problem that they keep on doing <laughs> these things are that are really not working. So that's perfect then. So what that says is that there's people in business who they're fixated on the spokes of the wheel. And so they're tracking how many emails were sent. Yeah, and they only value the spokes of the wheel, and the, they don't place any value at all on the space. But the space is actually what has value. Exactly. So that's the. I think that's a lot of the uh, problems facing you know the corporations. When I serve as executive coach, uh, I see that you know, like in places like call centers. Uh, it's almost seems to me like a modern day assembly line, the manufacturing, mm -hmm. because the people in call centers, they're measured by, you know, by so many metrics, like, you know, do you, how much time do you spend with each customer? You know, do you resolve, you know, resolve their problem through one call? I mean, some of the metrics are even conflicting with each other. So the whole purpose is to serve the customer, but they let all these metrics become like shackles, you know, to, mm. to these people. And these people become a turning to machines, you know, as opposed mm -hmm. to a real human being talking with another human being. Where, where does all this confusion come from? That's a great question. The confusion comes from different, I, I guess at the end of the day, uh, they have to, again, they have to report up the chain mm -hmm. to the upper management why this operation exists, right? Mm -hmm. uh, but I guess the why exists, it should exist for serving the customers. 
but mm -hmm. somehow it morphed into something like exists because we have we we have we all have jobs we need to have jobs you know you cannot get rid of the the call centers so in so, order to justify the existence of that we need the metrics to show our value that's pretty much the the logic of it but it, so it again, it's not the 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 original the the, the original purpose is mm -hmm. a perverted purpose and so everything gets turned upside down what is supposed to be about creating a good relationship with your customer yes because again that can't be the actual relationship can't be quantified mm -hmm. but yet we live in a world of data and bureaucracy and so what was supposed to be about something for people turns into something that exists for data and bureaucracy. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. I find that, you know, a, that kind of, that kind of phenomenon shows up in many areas of life. Hmm. Yeah. Originally there was a purpose. I mean, the, a lot of the institutions, I would say, you know, the churches, the mm -hmm. higher ed, mm -hmm. um, I mean, government, mm -hmm. all these things, if you traced their history, uh, they started to, I mean, they um, appeared for a purpose or maybe mm -hmm. for a function. But over, <laughs> over time, these it seems like the to use the design lingo like forms form follows function it seems like the form has takes on a life of its own yeah i mean when you were talking about education and religion i think and government but but really education and religion really stood out to me because, mm -hmm. I mean, to some extent, you think, well, government's going to be some amount of bureaucratic because it's about rules and regulations and yeah, okay, that sort of thing. But education and religion, we're talking about transcending ourselves. Mm -hmm. So. We think about genius and people who have pushed human society forward. If they just did what the rules were, if they just filled out the paperwork, if they just did exactly what they were told, what would our society look like? What would humanity look like and yet so much education is about indoctrinating children to be good workers which means sitting still listening to following directions and you know 
obviously there's a lot of schools, if you can afford it, to go where they do try to make you more creative. But even in the creative pursuits, they many times are just training people to be robotically replicate what artists before them have done and require them, you know, to practice long, hard days to, you know, they call it mastering those pieces. Mm -hmm. And that kills the human spirit for, for many people. And so all these things that were supposed to be about freeing us turns us into machines because, again, we leave no space for the self that is existing mm -hmm. in this life that is engaging with these things. And we're filling people up with both education and religion with all these knowledge practices, rules, mm -hmm. directions, and because then there's no space left for the actual human being that exists within that, that all of those things that can't be quantified that require the space and the freedom of an individual to express that gets lost except for in the few rare people who reject all of that and say, I'm, I'm going to go my own way and I'm going to kind of do things differently. Yes. I, uh, I totally agree with you. The tendencies of like universities, um, nowadays, I think the, um, it's becoming more and more, um, focus obsessed with, um, let's say the very, I would say very, uh, concrete things, uh, mm. it's becoming more instrumental. I would say instrumental in the sense of, let's say, uh, students are anxious to find jobs sort of mm -hmm. to use the credential to, for, you know, to get to the, yeah, employment. Um, and same thing with the professors and scholars. They are under the pressure themselves to publish. So mm -hmm. you, now, nowadays you see people publishing for the sake of publishing. You know, there's the saying, mm -hmm. uh, publish or perish. Mm -hmm instead of spending the time to contemplate to you know really like think about the most challenging issues mm -hmm. they may make a connection of what they do with these you know overarching challenging issue but on a daily basis they're really like uh, you know people um who are in the um i mean it's it's just like a, the the picture in mind is the uh, the old manufacturing, it, it, even though we say it's the knowledge economy, but they are doing like industrial stuff. Industrial, I'm not saying that yeah. it, it's like more of a very robotic and mechanic. Yeah, I think there was even a, there were some, some professors who 
have critiqued that in numerous ways by writing research papers, fake research papers that just use the language that they know that the journals want to hear and just make up a bunch of garbage, like just to point out the fact that, hey, this is not research. This is just junk and you all publish it because as long as it sounds like what they want to hear, they'll publish it and it has no substance at all. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, hopefully this chat GPT, the AI, you know, I, I think it, it causes a lot of the different kinds of mixed responses. But one of the things, uh, you know, I spoke to one of my uh, my students, you know, I, I, you know, I'm mentoring and I asked him, you know, what do you think of it? Uh, I mean, this 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 guy actually this guy uh, provided a quite interesting um, observation. He said, well, maybe, you know, when you look at the whole knowledge, uh, uh, you know, knowledge base we collectively have, how much of a secondary information is just like a regurgitating or, yeah. and, and, and they're repeating recycling? So maybe, you know, the takeover of something like a chat GPT, mm-hmm. you know, will really expose, you know, mm-hmm. what, what kind of value in all we humans do, you know, maybe eventually yeah. it will all say, so why, why don't we just focus on some uh, primary data? I, I ask him, I say, what do you mean by primary data? He said, just the, the data, the basic mm-hmm. facts, the data that, you know, about the, the physical world, you know, mm-hmm. the, the, all the very essential things, as opposed to the derivatives of all these primary things. So I thought that that was quite interesting uh, thought. Yeah, and and it makes perfect sense, and and I follow that. And in my career, I, I followed that. So, for example, there in software, there was a saying, RTFM, which means read the effing manual, because you you have people writing blog posts about this and that and everything else. And there's so much, they called it fear, uncertainty, and doubt or FUD. Mm -hmm. All these secondary opinions and, and um, flooding the, the internet. And it's like, read the manual. The, The manual is the source of truth. Just read the manual, read the primary source. If, there's something that you want to understand, get it from the horse's mouth. Why are you asking someone who talked to someone who got their opinion, who talked to someone else who blurred 10 other opinions? I mean, that's why we read chapter by chapter, character by character in the original Chinese, because that's the source. Exactly. You go to the source. That that's why I started learning Chinese because I could see there was fifty million translations of Tao Te Ching. I loved the essence of it, but I'm like, man, these are vastly different across each one. I want to learn Chinese so I can go and read what was actually written and hopefully come to a better 
understanding. And that is what we're talking about with space. It's like, look at all of the space that all of these secondary sources on things takes up. And, and all it does is muddy the waters. If we removed most of those secondary sources, the water would be much clearer. So this is another perfect example of where it's the space that's valuable. You, you have people who don't understand the primary sources filling up the space, con creating confusion, creating misinformation, and then that gets spread. This is a perfect example of why the space is important. I agree. I mean, not to be too cynical, I can imagine, let's say, you know, maybe, uh, you know, a postdoc uh, who is eager to get a, you know, a, you know, eventually get a tenure at a university, just one day say, oh, I need to publish an article. So let me yeah. just try to follow the format. So all that he was thinking is another agenda. You see what I mean? It's not to yeah. advance the understanding no. of something, but like, uh, I have a job to do. You know, if mm. I don't do it, I would not get what I want. Mm -hmm. So somebody who doesn't, you know, who, who, again, you know, we'll talk that uh, in a minute, uh, somebody who has, who has, um, thinking doesn't have a space will say, oh, this is a great article. So totally like absorbed by that mm -hmm. article uh, and get lost in it without a true understanding. I feel things like that too, the writer and the reader. So let's say we're just get, get so overwhelmed with so much information. It's so necessary for us to have space or maybe some kind of awareness to know what's valuable, what's not. Because otherwise, we're going to be swallowed by this monster. Mm. So we're talking about creating space. Um, and, and I mean, eventually it comes down to creating space for ourselves. Because I otherwise, I could not imagine how we navigate yeah, and this is completely coincidental, but just as an example of intuitively recognizing this, and I think um, studying Taoism internalizes the this way of being, but I was writing yesterday on the plane, the things that are important to me in my life. And then it's a short list, a very mm -hmm. short list. Mm -hmm. And then I wrote, if something doesn't relate directly to these things, mm -hmm. I don't give a shit. Mm -hmm. I don't need to get worked up. I don't need to get involved. I don't need to exert any energy with it. Mm. Yeah. 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 So true. I, I think we all need to have that short list of things that 
truly matter to us. Because if we don't have that, I think a lot of time we're just pulled by all kinds of forces into things that eventually, you know, maybe in the middle of it, we thought, oh, this is, oh, this is so important. But then later on, like three days later, we say, oh, you know, I have wasted all this time and energy on it. Exactly. I mean, and th- this is the walking the timeless way part of today's mm-hmm. podcast that you have to create space in your life. And you really should only be making space for the things that are really important because life is short. And if you're not making space for the really important things, there is all that garbage out there and it's very eager to fill your life up very quickly. Just, you know, garbage on the internet, garbage, food, garbage, relationships, all of these things are more than happy to take your time and energy away from you. And if you're not creating space in your life for the things that, are important. You're not walking the the timeless way. It's, it's incredibly important. It's probably the most important thing is that you don't fill your time and space up with things that don't matter. Mm -hmm. I would imagine that, as you say, uh, you know, the most important things for, for you, uh, can you provide some additional, uh, you know, elaboration on that point? Like, how do you figure out, you know, what's most important for you? I mean, it's a process. So it's it's mm-hmm. not like you just sit down one day and mm-hmm. make a list. I mean, I think it develops over time. But again, it's how we were talking about letting relationships breathe Mm -hmm. and letting things develop just even like our podcast, you know, we've been doing this for, I think as far as just meeting, we're going on like four, four years of just meeting and talking about, about this. And, you know, you make that initial space and then you reflect on it. And you think like, well, how did I feel? What what did that provide me? And if it was nourishing, and then you make more space for it. Mm-hmm. And over time, you, you notice that that making space for that thing enriches your life just by making the space. Well, then you keep doing it. Mm-hmm. So that kind of self-reflection, right? It's an mm-hmm. important part process of discovering what's important, what matters to you. Which is space. I mean, reflection is all it about is a space. space. Yeah. The space between the happening and also, yeah, you, you have to create some space for self-reflection instead of like rushing to the next thing, next thing. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Like some, some people would, there's, um, in Gestalt, there's, uh, the idea of the cycle of experience and 
I'm not going to get into all mm -hmm. the minutia, but essentially everything starts from what they call the fertile void, that it, it's mm -hmm. actually the void that is fertile. Like it's mm -hmm. the space that is ripe for an experience to arise. Mm -hmm. And if you don't withdraw from an experience and let that fertile void fill up, I mean, the fertile void, the space is something. It's not nothing. Mm -hmm. It's actually what's pregnant for potential, pregnant with all of the energy that you got from the previous experience. Mm -hmm. And for people who are workaholics, for example, they never get satisfaction from everything because they just go from one task to the next and then they get burnt out because they actually never let things go back to rest. Yeah, that reminds me of, uh, you know, the uh, very uh, classic uh, Chinese novel, Journey to the West. Have you heard mm -hmm. that? Monkey King? Oh, like, I, I haven't read it, but yeah, I'm very okay. familiar with the... Right. There, yeah. you know, there's the, the main character is the Monkey King and also the, uh, the, um, the monk who traveled to India. Mm -hmm. So three people, the Monkey King and another guy. And also the, the funny guy is the, what we call the, uh, the picky because he has big ears and all that, right? So one day he, the story goes like, one day he went to the forest and found this ginseng uh, fruit. So he, he was so like eager to have all of them because he said, oh, this is make me live a long life. So he just like put all these ginseng fruits, uh, you know, just almost like swallow it. Then the monkey king asked him like, oh, what does it taste? I don't know. Oh. So I think that is very similar to a lot of people I see in the world. They just are busy and busy, busy, just mm -hmm. as Henry David Thoreau said, for what? So they never created that space to, you know, reflect a little bit and, and say, okay, what's the, what's the whole purpose of it? What's the whole mm -hmm. point? Mm -hmm. You know, what's the meaning? Just yeah. go through the one, you know, one meeting after the other. Or yeah, just that that connection back to religious organizations and academic institutions. It's mm -hmm. if it's just going from one class to the next or one, mm -hmm. you know, s s Sunday to the next, and of sitting on a bench and yeah, I showed up and now back back to work and there's no savoring anything or really mm -hmm. reflecting and trying to un understand like where did all this stuff come from what is it about what is it about to be a human being what is it about to be this particular human being mm -hmm. life had, then has no flavor just like the story that you were saying it's if you're just taking one bite after the next you're not making space for that flavor yeah, yeah. Show up. So true. I wonder, like, I think a lot of people kind of is aware of that. And I, I hear a lot of complaints, you know, 
among these kind of people, right? They say, oh, you know, it's just, uh, it's always like busy, and I, you know, they they actually have some certain kind of resentment toward it. But also at the end of the day, they say, well, I have to do it. So how do you advise people like that? And is it what really they kind of sense it, but they couldn't change their behavior? Is it kind of a um, fear-driven that made them kind of hard to stop? Sense of insecurity? Yeah, I mean, I think it can be all of those things that they're that fear, insecurity, how we were raised. I mean, r- really, the environment shapes us, and the mm-hmm. environment can shape yeah. us. Basically, every cultural and societal force, whether it's from a corporation, government propaganda, media propaganda, um, our parents who are also full of propaganda Mm -hmm. and pass that same propaganda on to us, all of those forces can twist us up in a million ways. And that's what's happened to people. They've... They've taken in all of these messages from the environment yeah. and taken heart so much con- conforming with what their friends do. Yeah. So my friends are getting married and having kids. I better get married and have kids without even thinking, well, do I yeah. want to get married? Do I want to have kids? <laughs> yes. Most people don't ask those questions. It's just like, well, yeah, you, you get married and you have kids. That's what you do. And so, all of those things are going to get in the way of people having the space inside of themselves to even get an idea of what their tastes are. I think a lot of people go through life, maybe they don't even know what they like. Yeah, yeah, true. So somehow you have to find the willingness and the motivation to really search your heart. I think people are afraid of their own hearts. They're afraid of what's in their hearts because the human heart is full of goodness, but it's also full of a lot of darkness too. Mm -hmm. And it's both of those things that make us human. It doesn't mean that we're bad people because Mm -hmm. we're complicated because we're complex. I mean, the yin and the yang, we, we know it's the light and the darkness that creates completeness. And that's what existence is all about. And if you're afraid of the darkness in your own heart, yeah, you're not going to get very far in becoming whole growing because you're going to shy away from the things that are scary that are just part of you. Yeah. 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 See, that's the kind of the conundrum. Like the forces outside are so powerful, so you know it's 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 kind of a, almost you are it, it, you know it's hard to fight back. At the same time, for them, probably soul searching or go in, in into inside themselves and think about the complexity is so daunting. You know they don't know where to begin. So then. They are they are pulled back or pushed into further level of business, uh, you know, uh, 
being very busy. Exactly. It's a way of distracting ourselves from ourselves. Ultimately, though, I, I would say mm-hmm. people don't give themselves space because they're afraid of themselves. Mm-hmm. 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 So how do you how do you overcome or face that fear? Any you you make space for it, just exactly what we're saying. You, you it's almost it. like a circular, right? How do you make? Yeah. Oh, yeah, okay. So you make space to yourself. Yeah, you you learn to accept. So acceptance is another big thing to create space. When you're fighting mm. yourself, it's creating chaos. There's no space. But when you yeah. can accept, I mean, look at all how you know. It, it used to be in the eighties, it was the really pretentious moralistic Christians that drove me nuts because they were always trying to they prove how good they were about everything and self-righteous, you know, self-righteous and preachy. And it's like our society in the U S has become a lot less religious, but man, our society has not given up all of the preachy self-righteousness at all. And it takes on new forms. <laughs> it takes on new forms. And now it's the secular version, which is just as annoying. <laughs> and, and it's because people don't want to admit that they have these dark aspects to themselves that yes, we, we're full of love, but we're also full of hate. We're full of patience, but we're also quick to judge. I mean, it's okay to be complex. Yes, yeah. That doesn't mean that you are evil, evil person, right? No. Human beings are complex, you know, with the good and evil ten impulses. Yeah, I, I, I can have stereotypical thoughts about people, but also sit down with one of those people that maybe I have a stereotyped bias against and recognize they're a person just like me and everything's fine. Yeah. Well, one last practical question, you know, that might benefit our listener. Do you have any tips on, you know, how do you, uh, physically or mentally or psychologically uh, create space for yourself? Uh, you know, any, any like a very, you know, on a daily basis, let's say. Yeah. I, I mean, it really is just people use the word mindfulness. I don't like that word because I think a lot of people don't eat. It's just a word now and people don't even know what it, what it's supposed to be about. Mm-hmm. Psycho being psychologically minded, which just means, Pay attention to your own psychology. Pay attention to how you think about things, what thoughts you're having, patterns that you see, trying to really slow down interactions and noticing how your own psychological process weaves in and out through these experiences. You start learning about yourself that way. In the Are more you talking you're talking about the... Almost like you are above, you are like observer, 
Yes, observer. Like a, like a, like a meta, meta cognition, right? We are cognition observer. I like the word experiencer, like be the experiencer of your own psychology. Well, when people are experiencing, they, they just totally lose themselves. <laughs> that's, that's, that's what they say. But when you say experiencer, what do you, what do you mean by that? So quit trying to run away from your own thoughts and feelings. Mm. Learn, learn to tolerate your own emotions, that your emotions are just feelings. They're not going to hurt you. People are afraid of themselves. People are afraid of their own emotions. They're afraid of feeling their own fears. They're afraid of feeling their own desires. They're afraid of feeling their own power. They're afraid of feeling their own hatred. They're just feelings. It's okay. Be a human. Well, we have to probably unlearn a lot of the, you know, since enlightenment, or maybe even since Socrates, because a lot of the teachings around rationality, when you yeah. talk about feelings, suddenly your impulse is, oh, that's irrational. So you, you try to run away from it. Yeah. And I'm not saying like, go, go and feel hatred and kill someone. That's not of the course. point. Of course. The not. point is, is that if you can't, if you deny your humanity, you're just going to be a, a robot who's dead inside and who's just running around like a robot trying to prove what a good robot they are to society and institutions and everything else. And that's what we have now. And it's not very satisfying. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Well, we are, um, you know, this is going to be an ongoing conversation you know, with the help of the wisdom of the uh, Tao Te Ching. And uh, we are at the uh, end of our discussion today. Uh, you know, before we close, uh, I would like to remind our listeners, uh, if you appreciate, you know, this uh, program and really appreciate the conversation, if you would like to donate, uh, you know, to our, on our website of any amount uh, to support our efforts, uh, please do. Please go to the our website, uh, walkingthetimelessway.com. And thank you very much. And thank you, Yen, for uh, sharing your thoughts and insights uh, on the importance of space. Thanks, David. <laughs>